Welcome to a journey through the grand and magnificent events of royal history. From the castles of medieval Europe to the palaces of the modern-day monarchy, we will explore the moments that define the lives of kings and queens and the events that shaped the course of history. From the coronation of William the Conqueror to the abdication of Edward VIII, and from the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand to the wedding of Edward VII and Queen Alexandra. These are the tales of power, passion, love, and tragedy that have captured the imagination of generations. So sit back, relax, and join us as we delve into the rich and fascinating history of royalty. The Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. In the grand halls of Stirling Castle, on a crisp winter's day in 1594, a baby boy was born to James VI of Scotland and Anne of Denmark. They named him Henry Frederick Stuart, after his grandfathers, Henry Stuart and Frederick II of Denmark. As the eldest son, he was given a host of titles and positions, including Duke of Rothsay, Earl of Carrick, Baron of Renfrew, Lord of the Isles, and Prince and Great Steward of Scotland. But even as he entered the world with such pomp and circumstance, young Henry's early years were marked by tension between his parents. Anne, perhaps feeling the weight of her duties as a royal mother, left Henry in the care of Stirling Castle, far from her loving embrace. It was a decision that would have far-reaching consequences for the young prince. In 1603, when James VI ascended to the throne of England as James I, Anne returned to Stirling Castle to retrieve her son. From that moment on, Henry's life was a whirlwind of royal duties and expectations. He became Duke of Cornwall immediately, and in 1610, he was created Prince of Wales. Despite the weight of his responsibilities, Henry was beloved by the people and showed great promise as a leader. But alas, Henry IX was not to be. In 1612, he fell ill with typhoid fever and passed away at the tender age of 18. The nation was plunged into mourning, and his body lay in state at St. James's Palace for four long weeks before being interred at Westminster Abbey. His younger brother, the future Charles I, inherited his titles, but the memory of Henry's short life and great potential lingered on. On the 20th of February, 1867, a little prince by the name of Louise Victoria Alexandra Dagmar entered the world. Her parents were none other than Edward, Prince of Wales, and Alexandra of Denmark and her grandmother just so happened to be the reigning monarch of the United Kingdom at the time, Queen Victoria. Talk about having some serious royal connections. Louise grew up with her siblings at Sandringham House in Norfolk, where she received a limited education. But that didn't stop her from having a pretty sweet life. She got married to this guy named Alexander Duff, the 6th Earl of Fife, in a fancy ceremony at Buckingham Palace in July 1889. And if that wasn't enough, 
Two days later, Queen Victoria created Alexander, the Duke of Fife. So basically, Louise became a duchess overnight. The newlyweds went on to have three children, but sadly, their eldest son passed away in infancy. Then things got a little wild when Louise's dad became King Edward VII in 1901 and then gave her the title Princess Royal in 1905. But as with all good things, Louise's story took a sad turn. While the family was sailing to Egypt in 1911, Alexander got really sick after being shipwrecked in Morocco and passed away in Egypt the following year. So their daughter, Alexandra, became the Duchess of Fife in her own right. Louise lived a pretty long life, passing away at the ripe old age of 63 in London in 1931. She was buried in St. George's Chapel at Windsor, but her remains were later moved to the private chapel at Mar Lodge. So that's the story of Louise Victoria Alexandra Dagmar, a princess who lived a life filled with pomp and circumstance, but also with some pretty tough times. All right, hold on to your hats, folks, because we're about to take a trip back to the 14th century to meet maybe one of the coolest princesses of all time. That's right. On the 21st of February, we celebrate the birthday of Isabella, the daughter of John I of Portugal and Philippa of Lancaster, born in 1397. Isabella was a real trailblazer, not only because she was the fourth child, but also because she was the only one who managed to survive infancy. Her maternal grandfather was none other than John of Gaunt, first Duke of Lancaster, a son of Edward III. So let's say she had some pretty fancy family ties, too. Growing up with her brothers at the court in Lisbon, Isabella was one smart cookie. She received an excellent education in politics and was an avid reader. She even became proficient in Latin, English, French, and Italian, proving that she was not just a pretty face. Isabella married Philip the Good, Duke of Burgundy, on the 7th of January, 1430. And let me tell you, this was no ordinary marriage. Philip had already been married twice before, and he really wanted to have some children with Isabella. And boy, did they deliver. They went on to have three sons. But unfortunately, only one, Charles the Bold, would survive to adulthood. But Isabella wasn't just a baby-making machine. She held serious influence over her husband and son in politics and was a master negotiator. She even arranged some incredible marriages for the people of the court. However, things weren't all roses and sunshine for the princess. When her son became estranged from his father, she withdrew from court to side with him. But she still managed to live a long and fruitful life, passing away on the 17th of December, 1471, at the age of 74, in Burgundian, Netherlands. Isabella of Portugal, a smart, savvy, and influential princess who made her mark on history. The year was 1547, and the court of Fontainebleau was abuzz with excitement. Henry II of France and Catherine de' Medici had just welcomed a new addition to their family, a baby girl named Claude. As she grew up alongside her sisters Elizabeth and Mary, 
it became clear that Claude was a force to be reckoned with. At the age of 11, Claude found herself at the center of a political alliance when she married Charles III, Duke of Lorraine. Despite their age difference, the young couple was deeply in love, and their marriage brought an end to Charles's long captivity at the French court. Together, they left for Lorraine in the late 1559, ready to start their new life together. Over the years, Claude and Charles's love only grew stronger, and they had nine children together. But their happiness was not to last. In 1572, Claude was in Paris for the wedding of her sister Margaret to Henry of Navarre. Little did she know that the celebration would soon turn into a nightmare. The St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre erupted, and Cloud found herself caught in the crossfire. Her sister Margaret sought refuge in her chamber, and together they braved the chaos and terror of that terrible night. But sadly, Cloud's time on earth was short-lived. In 1575, she passed away in childbirth at the age of 27, leaving behind a devastated husband and children. Though her time on earth was short, Claude's legacy lived on through her children, and the memory of her strength and resilience remained a beacon of hope for generations to come. Allow me to share with you the tale of Isabel, a princess who lived a life so remarkable that it still inspires us to this day. Born in March 1224 to the great Louis VIII of France and Blanche of Castile, Isabel was the 11th child of the royal couple and the only daughter to survive. But from the beginning, she was destined for greatness. Isabel's unwavering devotion to the Lord was a sight to behold, and even from a young age, it was clear that she was destined for something truly special. Despite being betrothed to a few royal princes, Isabel remained committed to a life of celibacy, dedicating herself entirely to her faith. And in 1256, she took things to the next level by founding the convent of the Humility of the Blessed Virgin, a true beacon of hope and faith in an often dark and troubled world. But Isabel was no mere figurehead. She refused to be named abbess, instead choosing to retain her wealth and resources to provide for Longchamp Abbey. And boy, did that decision pay off. Her monastery was a true testament to her unwavering commitment to her faith, and it inspired all who came into contact with it. Isabel passed away on the 23rd of February, 1270, at the age of 45, but her legacy lived on. Beatified by Pope Leo X in 1521, and later canonized by Pope Innocent XII in 1697, Isabel became a true symbol of piety and devotion. But that's not all. Longchamp Abbey may have been destroyed during the French Revolution, but one tower still stands tall in Paris, a reminder of Isabel's incredible impact on the world. It's a fitting tribute to a princess who lived a life so remarkable that it still inspires us today. We're about to dive into the thrilling tale of Edward Plantagenet, a 
a royal whose life was marked by intrigue, betrayal, and tragedy. Born on the 25th of February, 1475, to none other than George Plantagenet, 1st Duke of Clarence, and Isabel Neville, Edward was a true product of his royal bloodline. His paternal uncle was Edward IV of England, a powerful monarch who left an indelible mark on the nation's history. But it was his maternal grandfather, Richard Neville, the kingmaker, 16th Earl of Warwick, who was the real wild card in Edward's life. You see, in 1478, Edward was created the 17th Earl of Warwick upon the attainder and execution of his father, making him an immediate target of his enemies. But it was when his uncle Edward IV died in 1483 and his young cousin Edward V went missing that things really started to heat up for Edward. Despite his royal bloodline, Edward was passed over for the throne because of his father's attainder, and his other uncle, Richard III, took the reins of power. When he was killed in battle in 1485, Henry Tudor, now Henry VII, took the throne, and Edward's fate was sealed. He was sent to the Tower of London, where he lived out the remainder of his life as a potential threat to the Tudor reign. And while his life may have been marked by tragedy, it was in his death that he truly made his mark on history. In 1499, Edward was involved in a plot to overthrow Henry VII, and he went on trial for treason. Edward was beheaded on the 28th of November, 1499, at the age of 24. His death marked the end of the illegitimate male line of the Plantagenets. However, he did have an elder sister, Margaret Pole, 8th Countess of Salisbury, who was later executed by Henry VIII in 1541. So there you have it. The story of a royal whose life was marked by tragedy, but whose legacy lived on long after his death. Edward Plantagenet, Earl of Warwick. In the year 1498, in the grand halls of the Burgundian court, a princess was born who would go on to live a life of great power and influence. Her name was Eleanor, and she was the daughter of Philip, Duke of Burgundy, and Juana of Castile, two of the most powerful rulers in Europe. Eleanor was born into a world of wealth and privilege, and her lineage was just as impressive. Her paternal grandparents were none other than Maximilian I, Holy Roman Emperor, and Mary, Duchess of Burgundy, while her maternal grandparents were the Catholic monarchs Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella I of Castile. It was clear from the start that Eleanor was destined for great things. And so it was that in 1518, her own brother, Charles I of Spain, arranged for her to marry their uncle, Manuel I of Portugal. Despite the significant age difference between the two, they had a fruitful marriage, with two children born to their union. Tragically, only their daughter survived to adulthood, and after Manuel's death in 1521, Eleanor returned to the Spanish court. But Eleanor's story did not end there. In 1530, after becoming engaged in 1526 during Francis I of France's captivity in Spain, she married Francis I, 
becoming Queen of France in the process. Though her marriage was not a happy one, Eleanor was a loving and devoted stepmother to Francis's children, whom she helped raise. When Francis passed away in 1547, Eleanor left France for Brussels to be at the court of her brother. And yet, even as she grew older, she remained a woman of great influence, returning to Spain in 1556 after Charles abdicated. It was during a trip to visit her daughter that Eleanor passed away at the age of 59. But her legacy lived on, and she was buried in Spain, a testament to the power and influence of a remarkable woman who lived a life that was truly larger than itself. And that concludes this week in royal history. Thank you so much for stopping by today. I hope that you really enjoyed the topics that I touched on. And maybe you'll go down a wormhole or two. Because let's be honest, that's the fun part of this, isn't it? Until next time, I'm Rebecca Larson. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.